This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, August 20th, 2017. Keeping it real, The Voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice job, Barry. <laughs> so this morning we continue keeping it real as we look at reality TV shows and consider some biblical truths that we can glean from them. This morning our focus is on The Voice. Well, good morning, Connection Church. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. <laughs> and we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, yesterday was an incredible day here at Connection Church, and we're still feeling um, so actually energized after a very long day here. It was, it was a great day. And we got a little ink in the news journal. If uh, it's on page two, and there's this big thing about Middletown puts on a peach of a festival, and we're like this whole last column. So um, it's, we're thankful, and yeah. Anytime we can get the name Connection Church out there is important because perhaps somebody's looking for a church, a home, a place to be, be a part of. And if you're that person that you're exploring who we are, we are so glad that you're here with us today. Our mission is to connect people with Jesus and the new life he offers. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for today and for bringing us here. It's not an accident that any one of us are here this morning. And so settle us in and um, help us glean what we need to glean from today's uh, scripture and message and leave a little bit different than when we came in. I pray this in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. All right, I admit The Voice is one of my very, very favorite shows. It started in 2011. How many people have seen The Voice? All right, so a few of you, yep. For those who haven't, it consists of four coaches who are singers themselves, and they each select a team of artists through a series of blind auditions. And the coaches literally have their backs to the singer, so they listen, they listen, they listen, and then when they decide to they push their button and turn around or not, and then that person, if there's more than one, they get to choose which coach they will have to guide them through and eventually there's performances and the names get whittled down and then the public gets to vote. Has anybody voted before? I have, I have the app. All right, girlfriend, I knew that, yeah, okay. Yep, and then somebody wins, dun 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 dun, the voice. I can't wait till it's on again. I just need to say, he enters my world and watches it with me. I'm not sure if I voted, though. No, not yet. Not yet. It's, I, don't, I don't have the app on my phone yet. Yet. So these blind auditions, also known as the blinds, are kind of intriguing. The 
As Carrie says, they, they must choose blindly. They have their backs turned. As you saw, they had their backs turned to carry me. And, and then when they decide, they, they hit the button, turn around. That's but a four-chair turn. That's a four-chair turn for us. That's right. And, and they're going to base it solely on that voice, which is interesting, because you think singing, well, it's just the voice. But, you know, if you saw the person, that would have an influence on you or how they, their stage presence and all those things come into play. But none of that comes into play in this case. They're going to they're going to judge it strictly on what they hear, maybe a little bit on the fan reaction, I don't know, but mostly on what they hear, they're going to uh, go um, uh, choose based on the voice and the voice alone. It's interesting to watch when the coaches turn around and they see the person with the voice, like sometimes they're like, whoa, because the voice looks different sometimes than the person. They often don't match up. You know, it's really funny. Our visual is puts together a lot of information and then there's expectations just based on what we see. There's uh, something that some of us know, we've heard, you can't judge a book by its cover. So what's going on on the outside does not tell us what's going on on the inside. What it looks like isn't what it sounds like a lot of times on the voice. Or in real life. But, you know, all too often, though, we make assessments based on a very minimal amount of information, especially when it comes to other people. We generally use the term prejudice to define this or prejudging. We make a judgment before. We prejudge before we have much information. Uh, before we have all the facts, before what we have what we truly need to make an informed decision. You know, often we take a, a very narrow aspect of a person, perhaps race, uh, religion, uh, gender, sexual orientation, nationality, looks, family background, age, you know, the list goes on. And from that narrow piece of information, we make a judgment on who the person is, on their character, on what they're like, on their trustworthiness, on their likability, on their ambition, on their motive, on their motivation, on their quality as a human being. And generally speaking, it comes down to this. The more like us they are, the higher we grade them. Can I get an amen on that? And the less like us they are, the less likely we are to give them much of a good high rating. And um, the less like us they are, the more likely we are to prejudge and therefore to discriminate. So the problem with this way of thinking is that it's contrary to what Jesus teaches us. It's sin. Prejudice is sin. We're going to look at a story in the Bible it's found in Luke chapter 10. There's an expert of the religious law who asks Jesus what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus replies by asking him a question in his area of expertise. Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Jesus is pretty slick here. He's going to allow this 
expert, this law expert, religious law expert, to kind of answer his own question. And the answer is going to be an answer that the religious law expert isn't going to like, even though he's the one bringing the answer. He's not going to like it because it's going to force him to look in the mirror and see the face of someone who is prejudiced, possibly discriminatory, and therefore contrary to God's will. So the expert of the law, this is how he answered. He, he, he actually goes back to the Old Testament because this is right out of Deuteronomy. In fact, this was crucial to the Jews. They, they sometimes wore it. The Scripture said, wear it on your forehead, wear it on your, on your arm, and they do. They still used to wear these little boxes called phylacteries that would have this Scripture and one or two others in it, and they would wear that. The very devoted, the very orthodox Jews would wear that sometimes even today, and this would be in it from Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God, we say this here often, don't we, with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and say it with me, love, love your, your neighbor, neighbor as, as yourself. yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he, the religious law expert, wanted to justify himself. So then he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So if you were here last week, our show was The Amazing Race, and we actually referenced this very scripture when we were talking about purpose. If you didn't know what your purpose was, we have a common purpose to love God and love one another. So that's where this comes from. But today our teaching is on the second part of the scripture, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, this guy was not asking in order to try to include as many people as possible in this Who Am I to Love Club. No. Actually, it's just the opposite. He was trying to narrow it down, narrow down the list, narrow it down to people like himself. People who looks like he does, thinks like he does, believes like he does, worships like he does, acts like he does. He wants to justify his thinking. And so he asked Jesus who his neighbor is, and by doing so, he plays right into Jesus' hand. And as a result, he gets an answer that he is not expecting, an answer that he would rather not get. And so Jesus proceeds to share a story with him, a, a parable, parable, if you will. A parable is a story, a simple story intended to show a greater truth. And so the story Jesus shares is the story of a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this path was uh, a path that many used, but it was a very dangerous path because it went between some hills, some mountains, and it was easy for robbers to swoop down unexpected and take advantage of the traveler on the road. In fact, it was so dangerous it was known as the way of blood or possibly the bloody path. And uh, it's a dangerous place, and, and that's what happened to this man. He, he was attacked, and, and, and he was stripped of his clothes. He was robbed, and he was beaten, and he was left for dead. It's a story we're very familiar with, many of us, if you've been in church at all, because it, it's this truth that Jesus is trying to get across. Uh, he's left for dead, and a priest uh, came by, a holy man, uh, someone you would expect would stop and help, would have compassion on someone who was there, but not this priest. 
Now, this priest passed on the other side of the road, and we can only wonder why. Perhaps he feared being attacked, robbed, and beaten to near death himself, or perhaps he was fearful that this person in the road was just faking it and was going to attack him. Or perhaps he was fearful of the laws that said that if you touch a dead person, you're spiritually unclean, and therefore he wouldn't be allowed in the temple for a while. Whatever the reason, he went to the other side of the road, according to Jesus, and passed by. Likewise, a Levite, um, a member of the priestly uh, relig- uh, the religious elite at that time. And, and just like the priest, he also passed by. And again, we don't know why. For whatever reason, he went around the guy in the road. And then there was a Samaritan. A Samaritan. And he took pity on the half-dead man. He cared for his wounds. He, he put the man on his donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he had to leave, but he gave the innkeeper money to continue to care for this man who had been beaten, stripped, and robbed. And, and he told him if, if he would be back by, and if it took more than what he'd given him, he would certainly reimburse him, whatever the expense. And so Jesus then asked the expert in the law, which of these three men was truly a neighbor to the man who'd been robbed? robbed, beaten, and left for dead. And the, um, <laughs> the expert in the law had no choice but to say, well, the one who has showed mercy on him. And Jesus replied, go and do likewise. So a little backstory on Samaritans. Samaritans were hated by Jews because of some historic um, religious differences. So the last person a faithful Jew would want to touch him, to help him, to nurse him back to health would have been a Samaritan. And on the same note, the idea that a Samaritan would even help out is pretty foreign as well. The dislike, the absolute hatred between these two people groups would have made the scene that Jesus describes totally incomprehensible. And that's the point. Jesus centers this story on the most unlikely scene of a Samaritan helping a helpless Jew when the two religious people just walk on by in order to share a bigger truth that we are to love. We are to love those around us no matter who they are, no matter how different we are from each other, we are to love. We are not to prejudge. We are not to discriminate, to make assumptions about people. That's what Jesus teaches us. You know, we live in a world that's filled with hatred, don't we? world which all too often we pick up a paper, we hear on the news of another terrorist attack, like we did this week in Barcelona, Spain. A lot of hatred. What we're talking about this morning is hatred of a slightly different kind, because terrorist attacks often are just very 
<laughs> kind of shotgunny. They, whoever's there, they're going to hit. What we're talking about this morning are, is hatred fueled by prejudice, specific prejudice, discrimination, fear. The type of hatred we're talking about this morning is the type that we saw all too clearly last week in Charlottesville, Virginia. And the challenge is that was not an isolated event. All too often we pick up the paper, look at the news on the TV or hear it on the radio, stories of hate-filled confrontation, often racially fueled, but, but not always. It can be driven by other things, other differences, differences of religion, nationality, sexual orientation, you name it. But it's driven by hate and difference and non-tolerance and prejudging and discrimination and overriding. It's driven by fear. Fear of those who are different than we are. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what we don't understand. And all too often, fear leads to hatred. And one of the challenges is, is if we've never been on the receiving end of this kind of prejudice, this kind of discrimination, this kind of hatred, this kind of fear, it's really hard to put ourselves in those shoes. Oh, we think we can, but that is in fact not true. We can't. We have um, several friends um, who have a different skin color than us, and they tell us that every time they go in a store, they're followed. They feel like they're being constantly watched, observed, scrutinized. A really good friend who has to warn her sons every time they leave the house to be careful. It would be really easy for those of us who don't have to walk in those shoes to just blow it off, to dismiss it. You know, when I was younger, I, I know what it feels like to have some eyes. I can remember walking along the road and feeling really afraid. That had nothing to do with um, what we're talking about today. I wasn't being watched because of prejudice. I don't know what that feels like, truly. And I never will. But here's somebody who does. Take a look. been in school for a long time you know and I've seen a lot of good things and unfortunately I've seen a few bad things as well and uh, uh, one thing that kind of rings in my mind that kind of fits our topic today is I had a student a fourth grade student at one of the schools that I was working with and that was just kind of displaying some behavior that caused some concern for the teacher and part of my job at that school was to work with the student give them some strategies help them understand you know make better choices not necessarily act out all the time, figure out ways to kind of, you know, cope with what's going on. And I spent a couple of 
uh, times together. We'd meet maybe during lunch one day and talk for a few minutes. And uh, a few days later, I'd meet with him again during recess. And, and we talked and I, I kind of gave him some ideas on things that he could say and do to kind of help him get through his day in the classroom. And so uh, after that second visit, uh, I thought maybe I should give his mom a call. And so I um, you know, made a phone call, told her who I was, um, and I was working with her child, and uh, maybe it would be a good idea if I could meet her face to face. So well, why don't you plan to come in to school one day and we'll sit just for a few minutes and I'll let you know what we've been talking about and, and just let you know that you know, I'm really proud of you know, the way your son's been, um, been acting. He's been doing a whole lot better. And so she said, sure, I'll, you know, I'll be free on this day at this time. And I said, that's great, you know, I'll, I'll make myself available, you come on in. Stop at the office, and if I'm not here, they will page me. So she decides, that'd be great. She comes on in and comes to the main office, and I happen to be down the hall at a classroom at the time. So she was able to sign in and let the secretary know that she was here to meet with me. And uh, so, uh, and they asked her to sit outside. There was a bench outside the office at the time where parents could sit if they're waiting, you know, for a meeting. And so I returned from my class and actually walked past her because I didn't know who she was. You know, I didn't realize she was there to see me. And I get into the office and tell the secretary, um, you know, I'm waiting for a parent to show up. And they said, well, you know, she's right outside the door. So um, I walk back outside the door and introduce myself. Hi, I'm Dr. Parker, and um, I understand we have a meeting. And um, she stands up and I could see her face was just a little perplexed. And she said to me, um, you're not exactly what I expected. I said, really? Um, we had planned the meeting together and you know, now's a good time for us. If it works for you, we can still meet. And uh, you know, she hesitated a bit. And I could see, you know, she was a little uncomfortable. Let me just say that. And so, she then said to me, well, listen, um, I, I think I'd like to meet with the principal if the principal's here. Well, as it turns out, the principal was not in that day. And I said to her, well, listen, I'll, I'll take your name and uh, your number and I'll have the principal call you when he returns to school tomorrow. And then if you want to meet with him, I'd be glad to join you if that's the case and we could have some discussion then. She kind of accepted that and said, you know, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll meet with the principal and, and if the principal wants you to come to that meeting, you, you, you could come to it. I said, well, okay, that's, in, that's fine. So I went and got that information for her, presented that to her, and she left. It was pretty clear to me at that time that, you know, I wasn't what she expected, but she made an assumption. She prejudged based on my voice, on our discussion over the phone, and uh, I wasn't what she expected. And you know, that was pretty sad. And I felt bad for that situation, but you know, I, I kind of learned to put that behind me because I developed a really good relationship with that child. You know, he and I spent a lot of time together. Um, we got a chance to know each other, despite his mom's concern. Um, and he had a really good year because of the time we spent together. You know, and, and I find this type of thing happens all the time. I don't have to be at school or at work. Just last week, um, I was uh, walking through a parking lot going to my car after a rehearsal and there was a, a car that was sitting in a, in a parking spot that was still running. And I got, you know, I was assuming they were waiting for somebody to show up. 
And uh, so I just happened to walk by because my car was in a farther parking space down there. And as I walked behind that car, I noticed that the person that was sitting inside chose to lock the door. I could hear that door click. I thought for a moment about it, but again, that person made a decision based on what they saw. Maybe they were in fear. Maybe they were scared, I don't know. I kept on going, got to my car, and, and, and drove off. I really didn't think a second time about it. Um, it's really kind of interesting, you know, the decisions that we make based on very little information that we have. I think it's really important that we get a chance to know people and not just act or react based on what we see or what we hear. He's one of my best friends. And it hurts to know that even today, he has to experience that. And for that matter, any of, any of you, any of us, have to experience that. We make assumptions about people especially when people are different than who we are. You know, God just must be, God's heart must break. We need to try to understand one another and see past our differences and to see inside because our hearts beat the same. And our blood is the same. And we're covered by the one whose blood covers all of us. And it's up to us individually to make a decision in how we need to live our lives and care and love out this scripture that we're talking about, loving our neighbor. And the challenge is I think we all have, we all tend to prejudge, we all have prejudice. No matter who we are, it's across the board. I think we all at some point, some degree have that. And because of that, we all have the possibility of discrimination within us. And so as a, a Christ follower, our first challenge then would be to kind of look squarely in the mirror and kind of try to come face to face with those prejudices that we do have, those things that allow us to push away, to separate from those around us. Because once we are honest with ourselves, we can then, then hopefully, uh, in realizing what our fears are, what our prejudging is, we can then as brothers and sisters in Christ, hopefully then maybe be in conversation with those who we would prejudge, who we possibly would discriminate against. We then might be in even in a position to care, to show that we care, let them know that even though we might not fully understand 
what they're going through, much like our friend Carlton, that we are with them and that we love them and that we care for them as Christ would have us care for them, loving our neighbor, remembering this story of the Good Samaritan, remembering that everyone is our neighbor, that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, that we all have the same value in God's eyes. So we must not only stand with those on the receiving end, but we must speak out against and stand for those who are expressing their prejudice through discrimination, through hatred, through violence. Now, we can't, we can no longer just sit on the sidelines and watch and twiddle our thumbs, pretend that it's not our fight. As Christ followers, it is our fight. Every time someone is on the receiving end of actions such as these. We are called as Christ followers to make a difference in the world. And especially now when there is so much hatred, so much hatred, so much violence all around us. We are called to be his hands and his feet and his voice, to get involved. I don't know what that looks like for you, but we are each one called to get involved. It could be something, you know, like, like a rally. It could mean actively participating in the battle. It could mean uh, being in contact with, with friends who, or people who might appear different than we are, and also those especially affected by acts of hatred, letting them know that even though we have no idea what, um, what it feels like, what, what the experience is that we can still come together because there's more that is the same than is different. For some of us, it might be um, just reaching across the fence, walking across the street, walking across the ball field, being in school, whatever it is, to connect with someone differently, looking past the, the visual that separates us. It could mean um, having a cup of coffee with someone and get into some real conversation. I can't tell you how many times over the last three decades I've been in, we've been in real conversation with Carlton to just realize that there's really no, you know, we're brother and sister in Christ, have different mothers. And so what is it for you? What is it for you? Really good scripture to keep in mind comes from Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament. From the book of Romans, it's easy to remember, 1221, 1221, Romans 1221, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, we always have a question, <laughs> and the one today is, what are you going to do? 
What are you going to do? What are you going what are you going to do to tear down those walls that separate us, those barriers that keep us apart, those prejudices that fuel discrimination? What are you going to do in your life, in your neighborhood, in your world to love your neighbor as yourself, to overcome evil with good? What are you going to do to be Christ's representative in the world? What are you going to do to spread this good news of Jesus Christ? Not to just people who look like you, think like you, talk like you, but to everybody. What are you going to do to not only believe it, but to live it? What are you going to do? Let's pray. Most holy God, well, story many of us have heard many times, and it's interesting how easy it is to just think of it as a story when it just rings with truth. Lord, please help us not to be one that walks to the other side of the street out of fear of whatever reason. Please help us to be the Good Samaritan, to reach out no matter what and not allow our fear of difference come between us. Please help us to overcome evil with your good and to remember that no matter how different we are, the thing that brings us together above everything else is the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you. We praise you. We glorify your holy name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all Connection Church said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community